Good mornings, I'm Chris Hoax, and coming up today, Cedar Point announced this week they are retiring the park's tallest roller coaster, Top Thrill Dragster, a thrill ride with a checkered history, while teasing a reimagined experience. We get reaction from the American coaster enthusiasts. Also this morning, would you be shocked to learn that youth sports is now a bigger industry than even the NFL? It's true, and that's not necessarily a good thing. So how do we get here, and what can be done to take back the game? Speaking of games, we'll preview all the action week number four of high school football around the area, and a collection of easy and delicious weekend brunch recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, September 9th, 2022. You just had the feeling yesterday when they announced that the queen was under uh, constant medical care, uh, persistent medical care, something uh, along those lines. I can't remember now exactly how they referred to it, but you just had this feeling that it was a euphemism for hospice. And then the whole family gathering and all of that, you just, you know, knowing that the queen was 96 years old, you just had this feeling that there was... You know, that this was different than just, oh, the queen is a little under the weather. So uh, Queen Elizabeth II, longest reigning monarch in British history, has died at the age of 96. The uh, statement from the royal family, the queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. The king and queen consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow. Um, So that is what it's uh, King Charles now and the queen consort. Uh, Camilla is the queen consort. Um, so this was, I, I mean, the the numbers are just uh, crazy on this. Longest reigning monarch in British history, uh, which is uh, pretty impressive. And uh, Charles becomes the oldest person in British history to ascend to the throne uh, because he's, what, 70-something years old and uh so he's had a lot of time to prepare for this but the oldest uh the oldest monarch to ascend to the throne so i thought that was kind of interesting um the uh, queen queen elizabeth ii's reign spanned 14 u.s presidents and in addition to being sovereign of the united kingdom and 15 commonwealth realms the queen also the head of the Commonwealth, which is an association of 54 additional independent countries. So Queen Elizabeth tradition holds will be uh, there will be 10 days of official national mourning in Great Britain before her funeral is held at Westminster Abbey and uh, she will be interred at Windsor Castle. Uh, so King Charles, uh, the Queen Consort Camilla and uh, Charles' eldest son, Prince William, is now the heir to the throne. So a lot of stuff going on in uh, Great Britain, and there's going to be a, a very somber week and a half. Uh, you hear a lot of those uh, royal stories and the royal funeral. They, uh, they were saying that the uh, official coronation of King Charles may not happen for several months. He's already king. Um, as of the moment his mom passed away, but the official coronation may be yet several months away. And I think that will be really fascinating uh, to watch. Something that, 
You know, most of us have never seen in our lifetime uh, Queen Elizabeth having been crowned in 1952. So well before my time, and it'll be really interesting to see uh, the whole pomp and circumstance regarding the crowning of a new king. Uh, so... What else is going on in the world? A very good morning to you. Uh, Sunday is the 21st anniversary of 9-11. So a very somber day in this country. It's going to be a very somber weekend just all the way around. Uh, a country club in Virginia. Did you hear about this? A country club in Virginia has had to apologize for... <laughs> and who thought that this was a good idea? Uh, they had planned a special 9-11-themed menu at the country club uh, to recognize the anniversary of September 11th. The clubhouse at Aquia Harbor in Virginia was set to offer dishes such as the Never Forget Sampler, the First, Res First Responder Flatbread, Flight 93 Redirect Crab Dip, and Pentagon... I'm not making this up! This was actually the 9-11-themed menu at the Country Club uh, planned for this Sunday. Pentagon pie. As the menu was taken down and a public apology issued uh, earlier this week after there, the news hit social media and was immediately met with a strong backlash, restaurant manager George White said, My intention was to bring... Attention to that horrific day 21 years ago to honor those who lost so much as well as those who gave everything that day. We will rethink our plans. <laughs> Good idea. We'll rethink our plans. We wanted to honor those who lost so much with the first responder flatbread and the never forget sampler. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> I wonder what some people are thinking. Uh, let's see here. So we've already had a, a few fog delays in the uh, first week of school for uh, county schools. Uh, the uh, city school students have been back for a while, but we had uh, earlier this week our first uh, fog days. I don't think we have anything like that that we have to worry about uh, today, but uh, it won't be long before... The weather will turn. We'll be talking about snow days, right? They almost, they're almost magical in the eyes of students. That unexpected day off when you get to play in the snow. But no more for school students in New York City. The Department of Education Chancellor in the Big Apple, David C. Banks, tells local news reporters that students this year will be expected to attend school via virtual learning on days that would otherwise be canceled as snow days. He said, with the new technology that we have, if a snow day comes around, we want to make sure that our kids continue to learn. And he said it's one of the good things that came out of COVID, although students may disagree. Uh, and he admits that students may not see this as a good thing. He says, sorry, kids, no more snow days, but it's going to be good for you. <laughs> it's, but it's going to be good for you. <laughs> I would argue that, you know, an occasional school day or an occasional snow day and a break for school from school is, uh, is not such a bad thing either. I mean, you know, when you get to the real world, the quote unquote real world and you, uh, are out there 
uh, working, you can take a personal day every now and then. Uh, so that's kind of what a snow day is for a school student. It, uh, no more in New York City. So. Speaking of uh, the real world, you've heard of the uh, term quiet quitting, where people, we were talking about this uh, the other day, is where people uh, are just doing the bare minimum of what is required of them at work. They're doing as little as they can possibly get away with, not quitting their job, but not putting any sort of sincere effort into it. Well, now there is a new term. Employers are responding with something they call quiet firing. Um, and they're doing this in a number of ways, employers are, uh, giving workers more roles and adding stress without a promotion or without a raise. Or when employers make a job so unbearable that employees are forced to quit on their own. Eventually, you'll either feel so incompetent, isolated, or unappreciated that you'll go out and find a new job and they don't have to deal with a severance or you know, letting you go and, and unemployment and, and all of that. Uh, hypercritical feedback, years without raises or promotions, and canceled one-on-one -on -one meetings are some of the signs of quiet firing. And recruiting expert Bonnie Dilber says some tips on handling quiet firing include having an honest discussion with management, or you can indulge them or give them what they want. Just quit and move on. Find another job. Quiet firing. Quiet quitting, quiet firing. Very interesting. By the way, speaking of, this is a, those are terms, and you know, what's interesting is there have always been people uh, who put in the bare minimum at work, and there have always been uh, employers that have tried various underhanded, sneaky ways of forcing unwanted employees out without having to fire them. But the terms, quiet quitting, quiet firing, are new. Uh, so that leads us to this. The folks at Merriam-Webster have added about 370 new words and terms to the dictionary. This happens every year about this time. They add new words to the dictionary. And uh, here are some of the new words that they have just added to Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Uh, yeet is new. It's a slang term used to express surprise, approval, or excited enthusiasm. Uh, yeet. Janky. Uh, something of very poor quality is janky. Uh, let's see here. Adorkable. <laughs> Somebody who is socially awkward or quirky, but endearing nonetheless. Adorkable. Uh, let's see here. Cringe, which I'm thinking cringe was in the dictionary already, but they have added the uh, definition as something so embarrassing or awkward as to cause one to cringe. As in something being cringe-worthy. So that is now in the dictionary uh, under that definition. Uh, let's see here. A couple of abbreviations they have added. F-W-I-W for what it's worth. So that's an official acronym, an official abbreviation. I-C-Y-M-I -I for in case you missed it uh, is now in the dictionary. And there are a number of pandemic-related terms in the dictionary now. Include subvariant. Booster dose, emergency use authorization, false negative, and false positive are all now in the dictionary. Uh, some of the other additions, which kind of, again, 
cycle back to the pandemic, the influence the pandemic has had on our language, supply chain, metaverse, side hustle, and shrinkflation are all in the dictionary now. So Peter Sokolowski, the editor-at-large of Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, says, Our job is to capture language as it is used. Some of these words will amuse or inspire. Others may provoke debate as to whether they deserve to be in the dictionary, but all of them show clear and sustained evidence of common usage. So a couple of the other ones that I thought were interesting. Greenwashing is in the dictionary. Greenwashing is to make something appear more environmentally friendly than it actually is. Virtue signaling, someone who conspicuously displays an awareness of and attentiveness to political and social uh, justice issues, but doesn't really take real action. (laughs) Tries to appear to be very cognizant of social, but very, very, very virtuous, but doesn't really do anything. So virtue signaling. Uh, Dumb phone, which is a phone lacking in advanced features, sort of the opposite of a smartphone, is a dumb phone. And, yes, at long last, pumpkin spice is now in the dictionary. (laughs) And no explanation is needed on that, but pumpkin spice is now in the dictionary. So there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny skies, expected again today with a high of 83. It'll be partly cloudy tonight, low of 65. The Finley City Planning Commission has approved the site plan for a spec building on the northeast side of Finley. The 100,000 square foot building will be going in north of the new Amazon facility and west of ZF. We have already submitted the building for a couple of state leads. We're seeing a lot of leads related to light manufacturing right now in the 100,000 square foot range. So we're very happy to have this building going up. Economic Development Director Tim Miley says they're fortunate to have two great tenants in the Tall Timbers extension with Amazon and ZF. And this new spec building will provide an opportunity for yet another company to call Finley home. Get more on the website. President Biden will be in the Buckeye State today for Intel's groundbreaking on its huge new facility in suburban Columbus. New Albany has been preparing for the groundbreaking. Construction equipment is moving some of the dirt on site to prepare for this groundbreaking. Project is is larger than Honda and it's larger than Wright-Patterson Air Base. It's even larger than both of those projects combined. I think in a decade, there could be seven or 8,000 Intel employees there. I'm Angela Ann. The Finley-Hancock County Public Library is encouraging people who don't have one yet to get a library card this month during National Library Card Sign-Up Month. Sarah Clevidence is director of the Finley-Hancock County Public Library. The library will think there is nothing more empowering than getting your own library card. It gives you access to technology, resources, and services to help you pursue your passions and your dreams. She says nearly 30,000 members of the community are currently library card holders and they'd like to sign up a lot more during National Library Card Sign-Up Month. Get more details on all the library has to offer on the website. ABC is cashing in on the first full weekend of college football. Its primetime matchup between Ohio State and Notre Dame last weekend brought in 10.5 million viewers. ESPN says the matchup was the most watched regular season game on its family of networks in the past five years. The Buckeyes take on the Red Wolves of Arkansas State on Saturday in the Horseshoe. 
I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, from the Little League World Series to the Friday Night Lights to the millions of kids kicking soccer balls around the local parks all across the country on a Saturday morning, there is a lot to love about youth sports. But there's also a darker side. Linda Flanagan is a freelance journalist, researcher, former coach, founding member of the New York City chapter of the Positive Coaching Alliance, an advisory group member for the Aspen Institute's Reimagining Sports Initiative. In her new book, Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania Are Ruining Kids' Sports and Why It Matters, she sheds light on that unsavory side of the youth sports industry. At a very minimum, she gives us a lot to think about. And Linda, that's really what it has become, an industry. We talk about the youth sports industry. How did that happen? How did we let that happen? Well... It started in the 70s when we cut funding for public parks and public uh, facilities for kids to play in. There was a surge then of participants in in the 90s, mainly girls who um, were now liberated to play after Title IX was enacted. And then in 1997, um, Walt Disney World built its Wide World Sports Complex Mm -hmm. because it shrewdly recognized that parents would spend on their kids and that they would uh, travel with their kids to, you know, a a wonderful place with wonderful hotels and parks at the ready. And when this, when the wide world of sports complex became so successful, other municipalities caught on and built their own complexes. So now we have 30,000 of these around the country. And, you know, there's just a, a kind of an endless appetite among parents for, to spend on their kids' sports, to to develop their kids' athleticism. So that's one reason. That's one reason why we got where we are. So many implications here. Talk about the fact, uh, the way that this affects kids themselves. I mean, you have the risk of a hyper-competitive environment, not only... Uh, how that impacts a child's enjoyment of a sport, but the impact it has on their psyche. There's the physical impact. Uh, this this pressure to perform yeah. uh, can lead to overtraining, and that has both mental and physical ramifications. So many implications here for the kids themselves, who ostensibly are the ones who are supposed to be having fun. Right. Well, you know, I think one of the bottom lines of my book is if sports have moved away you know, they're not almost about kids anymore. They're about the adults. They're about the parents and the coaches who are, you know, getting their reflected glory from the children. It's not about the kids' fun anymore. And one of the most um, telling stats that I uncovered was discovered by Travis Dorsch at the Families and Sports Lab at Utah State. And he found that the more kids, the more parents spend on their kids' sports, the less kids enjoy it. And the more pressure they feel. And, you know, so it's just an irony because we're, of course, as parents spend more and more, the kids enjoy it less. And there, again, as you say, there are these physical and emotional implications. And what are we chasing after, really? I mean, what are we chasing after? I mean, I, I, I think we used to think that we need to, as parents, we need to keep ourselves in check, that we are not living vicariously through our kids. And you mentioned that that is still one concern, but it has evolved and morphed into something much more than that. Right. Well, you know, I think 
one of the most fascinating things to look at is how is it that parents have, that children have moved, as Jennifer Sr. put it, from our employees to our bosses. There's been this shift in the hmm. last few decades so that, you know, like I'm sure your parents loved you and my parents loved me, but they didn't necessarily devote every weekend and waking free moment to uh, cultivating my skills, whether athletic or otherwise. There was just a different understanding of what parents owed their kids. And this has shifted since, again, since the 70s when there's sort of this national mood took over where it's responsibility of individuals and families to look after themselves, forget about the community. So therefore it became a function, a parent's responsibility to ensure that their kid had every advantage. And then as a result, if the child did well, it reflected well on you. So this has also insinuated itself into sports. And when you have that kind of environment that we have somehow uh, created consciously or subconsciously, it also tends to attract some of the least desirable people and least desirable behaviors in people, whether we're talking about coaches, uh, those who run the leagues and run the tournaments, and and even uh, parents and, and the behavior of parents. I know everyone has seen examples of that at one time or another. Yes. I mean, that, that's kind of what also baffled me in my research is, you know, seeing parents who are uh, you know, otherwise like responsible, intelligent adults with jobs and maybe mortgages, just absolutely losing it at games. And it, it just tells you there's a lot, there's so much at stake here that is, it's way beyond the ki- the kid's fun is like completely beside the point. It's about there's something, some kind of primal connection to the child and what that child is, a, how that child reflects on you. And, um, you know, I, I, I do think, I should add, I, I think most parents start out when you start getting your kids in sports, it doesn't start out out of some kind of, you know, right. Drive to satisfy your ego. I think, it, it, it I just, think every parent, of, I think every it, parent starts it takes out on a life. Of its yeah. Own. I think every parent starts out saying, I've seen the way other parents behave. That's not going to be me. But then the ne- next thing you know, you turn around yeah, yes. and Hey, it is me. So, and, and, and this is, and this is one of the other things that I, that I wonder, then how can, how can we find that, that, that proper equilibrium? Because this is not an indictment of kids and sports. I mean, you're not an anti-sports kids shouldn't be playing sports. Uh, then like we said, there is a lot to love about youth sports. So how do we find that proper balance? Well, you know, I offer four basic pillars for parents to kind of cling to, to try to help them navigate through this. Um, the first is to look at your child and have, let them be the ones calling the shots on their sports participation. Um, it really needs to come from them. Every expert in this field will tell you it has to come from the child. At the same time, you can offer a lot. You can, um, encourage a variety of sports, you know, um, don't settle on just one and try to get them to play one, but offer a variety and let the kids kind of decide where they want to go. Um, the other is to keep your family close. I think parents need to remember that um, the youth sports industry, the leagues and teams, it's not that they're bad people running them, but they don't care about your family. I mean, the bottom line is <laughs> they don't care about your family. 
you have to look after it. Yeah. Stay local as long as possible. Um, that's I, another thing. I often, I often wonder, and I, in full disclosure, and I think most people who listen regularly to the show know this uh, because I've mentioned it, I am a youth sports uh, official, and uh, I have uh, at, at, all, at all levels from uh, you know, the, the grassroots level up to you know, the highest levels of youth sports, I've been to uh, ESPN's Wide World of Sports a number of times for uh, events there and, and so on, and, and sometimes I ask myself, you know, am I part of this giant cog that is ruining youth sports? You know, am, 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 am I sort of uh, enabling this? And again, you know, we talk about the, mm -hmm. the industry. This is a bigger industry than the NFL. I mean, it, more money is involved in the yes. youth sports industry than the NFL. So how do we... Uh, again, you know, make sure that we don't become just another cog in that machine. You know, I, I think it, it takes, it requires you to ask yourself some hard questions. You know, I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah. You know, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? I, I mean, I think, you know, officials, I have a, a sympathy for officials who are out there in the field getting targeted by, you know, ber <laughs> targeted, berated, and humiliated by furious parents. So I wouldn't condemn you for, you know, for that. Another, and as we know, there's now a shortage of... Um, another example officials. of what we were talking about earlier. Yes, the craziness on the sidelines. But I, you know, I think, again, if you, you can't fix all the world's problems, but you can try to, like, look at your own family and figure out, is this helping our family? Is this good for my son or daughter to be, um, you know, playing yeah. this much and they're getting hurt. Are yeah. they unhappy? And, and I think that's the other thing. Well, and I was just going to say also, how are the other siblings? Yeah. Uh, that's a good point as well, because I think I think one of the other things that we uh, struggle with is that we don't want our kids to be left behind when we see all of these other kids uh, that are participating and supposedly yeah. having so much fun and having more opportunities. We don't want our kids to be left behind. So many things. We could talk about this all day, but it is a fascinating book. Take Back yeah. the Game is the title uh, worth a read and, and will give folks a lot to think about there. Linda, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. I'm John Marshall with his high school football preview. The BBC saw a shuffle in week one of league play that puts Liberty Benton in the unfamiliar role of underdog in the league. The Eagles will play a non-conference game tonight at Jack Miller Stadium on the campus of Ashland University when they face Mogador. The remainder of the BBC will play league games with Arcadia traveling to Pandora to meet the PG Rockets. Undefeated Arlington heads to Spikeberry Field at Corey Rawson for the final BBC matchup between the longtime rivals. And Van Lu visits Riverdale. Van Buren makes the trip west on State Route 613 to face BBC favorite Macomb. Don Masters and I will bring you the game on 100.5 with pregame at 635, kickoff just after 7. Finley got its first win last week but faces a tough opponent in the first league game of the season when Toledo Central Catholic comes to Donnell Stadium. Finley coach Stefan Adams. A very athletic, well-coached, tough football team. That's a big hats off to Coach Dempsey and where he's got his program now. Coverage begins tonight on WFIN at 610 with tonight in high school football from Ohio News Network, followed by the Trojan pregame show at 630 and the kickoff at 7 on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM.
Ottawa Glendorf is aiming for their first win of the season tonight when they play Western Buckeye League foe St. Mary's. That game will be on our sister station, 106.3 to Fox. Elmwood opens league play for the final time in the Northern Buckeye Conference with a road game at Faustoria. Elmwood has opened 3-0, while Faustoria has yet to crack the win column at 0-3. Eagle coach Greg Bishop. We're focused on Faustoria. You know, Derek Kidwell's done a good job, but they're a much improved football team this year. Despite their 3 record, they have some athletes to make plays. Other area games in the Northern 10, it's 3-0 Cary visiting 0-3 Winford and Upper Sandusky at Seneca East. In the Northwest Conference, it's Delphus Jefferson at Columbus Grove, Allen East at Crestview, Bluffton hosts Spencerville, and Ada goes to Lipsick in a battle of the purple and gold. Northwest Central Conference games include Ridgedale at Hard Northern, Perry at Elgin, USV at home with Lanesfield Goshen, and Ridgedale going to Crestline. Again, it's Finley with Toledo Central Catholic tonight at WFIN, OG at St. Mary's on 106.3 The Fox, and Van Buren at Macomb on 100.5, all with a kickoff at 7. I'm John Marshall, WFIN Sports. Well, earlier this week, Cedar Point made it official, announcing that the tallest thrill ride in the park and the second tallest in the world, the Top Thrill Dragster, would not be reopening. It has been closed, of course, since last August when a woman waiting in line for the ride was severely injured by falling debris. Elizabeth Ringus is a spokesperson for the American Coaster Enthusiasts, the largest group of fans of thrill rides in the world. Elizabeth, what was uh, the reaction from your members? I would imagine it can't be all that surprising. There's always sadness whenever we lose something, particularly a coaster that was so groundbreaking and monumental in coaster history. It's always sad, but we have no doubt that there's something new and intriguing coming from Cedar Point. You know, we know them for always doing something groundbreaking and attention getting with size or some sort of record. Um, so I'm sure there's something that will um, have records intrigued for yeah. the next season. The, it, it is interesting. Uh, like you said, it is, it is sad for the millions of people who have ridden it. It was a, a terrific ride, but it has in fact had a bit of a troubled past. It seems that there has always been sort of a love hate relationship that the park has had with top thrill dragster almost since day one. It is. It's a machine and mechanical issues arise. Um, that definitely can impair operation and cause frustration, I'm sure. But not that unheard of or unusual in the world of mechanics, right? Mm -hmm. We know things break down and have to get fixed again. You know, what's interesting uh, about this decision, and you kind of alluded to this uh, before, Cedar Point, uh, in making the announcement, did not say that the ride was closing or that it would be removed they use the words retired and reimagined experience which we were talking about this the other day is very similar to what they said uh just prior to reworking mean streak into steel vengeance which as we know is a an incredible ride it would seem to imply by the wording that maybe we haven't seen the last of that giant 420-foot drop. Is there any speculation as to what that might mean? For the coaster community, it's just a fun time to brainstorm and imagine what could it be? What's the wildest idea? What could be ahead? Because with that tease, 
it does appear that there's something coming. And so right now, everyone's imaginations are just absolutely running wild what it could be. As we mentioned the other day on the program, it would, it would be hard to remove. I mean, if I if I was an executive at Cedar Point, and maybe this is one of the reasons why this decision took so long to come down, it would be very hard to remove that very distinctive piece of the park skyline, especially for a park that has built its reputation as the roller coaster capital of the world. They have. And being home to the first 200-foot coaster, the first 300-foot coaster, and the first 400-foot coaster is something notable about the skyline at Cedar Point. It definitely stands out. You were right. It would make a huge impact. Yeah. And again, as kind of a sidebar in all of this, uh, what's interesting is that uh, this seems to be the only version of this ride that uh, has has had the number of issues that that is uh, we said we mentioned there have been other issues uh, with this ride. It's been uh, kind of difficult for Cedar Point almost since day one. Uh, King to Ka at Six Flags Great America, in New Jersey is basically the same ride. It is the tallest. Uh, in fact, and it continues to operate. It does continue to operate. You are correct. And riders are enjoying it on a daily basis at Six Flags Great Adventure. It is, is one of the things that uh, that makes this, and again, it's one of the things that makes you know Cedar Point uh, unique, is that they do, in fact, push the envelope. As you mentioned, first coaster at 200 feet, uh, first one at 300 feet. This one is the first at 400 feet. So when you're on the cutting edge, uh, again, these are the... Uh, I guess, I don't want to say the risks, but this is, you know, what can happen, as you mentioned. There is trials and tribulations. Anytime you like, you take a risk. And Cedar Point is known for pushing the envelope of technology, of saying what can we do, what could be possible, and going for it. And that's exactly right, that there are things to work through when you are the first. And that's the advantage sometimes of being the second, like King Dakota was, that they were able to work through different pieces of what needs to be tweaked in order to help the ride be operational every day and all the other things that Cedar Point has overcome. Yeah. Um, Still, with or without Top Thrill Dragster or whatever this reimagined experience might be, uh, either next season or perhaps... Uh, the season after, uh, I know Cedar Point is, has long been a favorite of uh, the American coaster enthusiasts. This is not going to change that, I wouldn't think. Not in the least. Cedar Point is absolutely a coaster destination. It is an experience that any coaster lover or just amusement park lover has to have in their lifetime because it's so unique. It truly is America's roller coast. They have such a nice variety of coasters. So many historical experiences that you can't have in other parks because they have taken the time to maintain and keep those treasured coasters operating and finding new ways to keep it innovative and keep them around. Well, that's the other thing, because again, the other recent announcement was uh, the reimagined boardwalk experience uh, where Wicked Twister used to be. Mm-hmm. They have a, a new uh, Wild Mouse coaster and and some other attractions along the boardwalk there, uh, right by Lake Erie. Uh, again, just kind of paying homage to the historic nature of the park, which is another one of those things that makes it uh, such a unique experience. You are correct, and I actually cannot wait to see this whole new area right there on the boardwalk. What a great flashback to the old days of where amusement parks started at Seaside, and the Wild Mouse is going to be a wonderful attribute to bring back a piece of history for us all to 
experience again. So no speculation or what do you think that uh, they're going to do with a top thrill dragster? I absolutely have no idea. And knowing <laughs> Peter Poit, no matter how much I brainstormed and all the crazy ideas I thought of, I have no doubt that I would have no clue or even be anywhere close to guessing what they have thought of. Would would be would be fun <laughs> to be a fly on the wall uh, when they uh, put those plans together, though, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? And I can't wait to see them when it's finally time for them to release it and tell us all about it. I absolutely can't wait. Coaster announcements for me are like feeling like a kid on Christmas morning, but I can't wait to unwrap everything. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth Ringus, again, is spokesperson for the American Coaster Enthusiasts, the largest group of uh, coaster fans in the world. We'll get a link up on our webpage for more uh, on their organization. And uh, Elizabeth, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me on. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. There is the breaking news, and then there is the news that has already been broken. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news, uh, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. A stretch of highway in South Carolina uh, was temporarily colored pink when clothing dye spilled from the back of a tractor-trailer involved in a crash. Uh, Spartanburg County Emergency Management said that the trailer carrying clothing dye was involved in a crash on Tuesday on Interstate 85 between Highway 129 and Highway 29. The crash caused the trailer to spill its load of clothing dye, turning the roadway a bright, um, a a dark pink and a bright purple. (laughs) I have not seen pictures of this. There's got to be pictures of this online somewhere. Uh, I have not seen them, but that would be worth checking out. There has been a spill of organic textile and clothing dye in two of the three lanes of the interstate, according to a Facebook post from the uh, Spartanburg County EMA. Will be a while before the contractor cleans it up and traffic is backed up. While the colors are pretty, we're pretty sure you don't want this on your car. (laughs) I mean, we've had stories of just about everything being spilled on a uh, highway over the over the years but uh that's got to be a first clothing dye on the <laughs> the highway bright purple and dark pink so so elsewhere in the uh, broken news you know halloween is right around the corner and uh, some folks already starting to decorate their homes for the spooky holiday in iowa a woman by the name of deborah ann ridge was uh, pulling out her uh, Halloween decorations when her 224-pound English Mastiff named Tatanka uh, got a hold of a, <laughs> a bloodied, severed arm and started running around the neighborhood with it, alarming the neighbors. <laughs> um, Tatanka's uh, o- owner... Uh, saw her uh, furry friend prancing around the garden and throwing the limb into the air. He's running around carrying it, throwing it up in the air. Several neighbors uh, thought the arm might be real uh, and were about to call the police, <laughs> thinking thinking maybe that the dog had attacked the mailman and finally got him. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, Ms. Ridge rushed outside after realizing the dog had somehow gotten into her Halloween decorations and took the uh, bloody arm back from the uh, from the dog. Every year, she says, I bring out the infamous arm and uh, my big boy becomes so excited and grabs it, runs off with it as one of his favorite toys. <laughs> I can see where that would cause some anxious moments, especially because it's a big dog. You know, that's, English Mastiffs are big dogs. And so, <laughs> see one of them running around with a bloodied arm, you think the worst. <laughs> one of her neighbors says, has he been digging in the backyard again? Uh, let's see here in Texas, Harris County, Texas, the hunt for a missing child has ended and the father is now the one who is in hot water. Police in Houston were told that a six month old was in the backseat of a Jeep that had been stolen earlier this week from a gas station. As it turns out, the child was never in the car to begin with. He had been staying with a family member who saw the news alert on television and called the cops saying, kid's not missing, kid's here. Turns out that dad had thought that it would prompt a faster law enforcement response if he said the kid was in the back of the car. <laughs> well, it did, but uh, after, admitted, uh, after admitting to lying about the whole thing, uh, dad is now in custody and will likely be charged with filing a false report. So. The car was stolen, but the kid was not in the back. So <laughs> so the uh, search for the kid has been called off. No word on whether they actually found the vehicle or not, but I guess that's secondary to the story. Elsewhere in the broken news, in Pasco County, Florida, a man is in custody after he was found driving a stolen van with dozens of cats. Dozens of cats. Deputies arrested Stephen Martell after he failed to pay for a U-Haul rental vehicle for about a month. So he was driving around in this U-Haul uh, rental that he hadn't paid for. So they reported it stolen. Um, upon further investigation, officials found out that Martell and his wife uh, were living inside the vehicle along with their two dogs and 35 cats. The couple claims they were running an animal shelter out of the van, but that got them into trouble as well because they didn't have the proper permits for that either. Mr. Martell facing uh, charges of neglect and animal cruelty. <laughs> two dogs and 35 cats along with husband and wife, living in the vehicle. That must have been lovely. I would imagine U-Haul probably said, you know what? Never mind. We don't want the vehicle back. Second thought, we don't want it back. <laughs> uh, let's see. This uh, from Ohio. This, I believe. Oh, yeah, here we go. Cincinnati. The Cincinnati area, a woman was shot Wednesday afternoon, remains hospitalized, but apparently uh, she is going to uh, she's going to recover. I think she's going to be OK. Uh, police say they have her attacker in custody. Uh, what makes this story worthy of the broken news, and we certainly hope that the uh, woman uh, is uh, going to be fine. What makes this story 
broken newsworthy is that a caller to 911 reported the suspect entered an apartment and uh, shot the victim. When police arrived, they the suspect had already fled. However, he left his cell phone behind. <laughs> he left his cell phone, which made it very easy for uh, police to catch up with the man, charge him with robbery and assault. <laughs> Your cell phone behind. Now, where did I put my phone? Where did I... And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, police in Prescott, Arizona, have arrested a man accused of doing $100,000 worth of damage to a local tattoo shop. Dylan Wiederholt was arrested after police found him walking uh, walking through the uh, downtown area covered in paint. <laughs> he was covered in the, in the paint or the uh, tattoo ink, <laughs> which made it pretty conspicuous. That he was the one who had broken in. It was covered in paint. Uh, this was a few hours after someone broke into the Lion's Den Tattoo Parlor and destroyed equipment and sprayed tattoo ink all over the walls, floors, ceiling, and furniture. In explaining himself, Mr. Wiederholt admitted his involvement and told officers that he wanted to be a tattoo artist and wanted to show those at the shop his artistic abilities. Not not the way to uh, get an internship there. Probably probably not the best idea. There you go. <laughs> that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. As we all know, there is not a whole lot that Americans agree on these days politically. But a new poll from CBS News and YouGov finds that a large majority of Americans across the political spectrum do agree that there should be a maximum age limit for elected officials, 73% said that they should there should be an, an age limit to hold elected office. Just 27% say there should not be. Uh, there is support for age limits across various age groups. Uh, they break it down not just by political party, but by age group. Uh, majorities of all adults from age 18 through 65 plus are in favor of this. When asked what the maximum age should be, There was some disagreement. 70 was the most popular response. About 40% said age 70 should be the maximum to hold elected office. Age 60 actually uh, came in at uh, second at 26%. Uh, 18% said age 80. By the way, uh, any of those, uh, what uh, both President Biden and uh, former President Trump uh, are – among the oldest presidents we've already had. So this could impact uh, both 
of both our current president and our most recent president, uh, age 50 had 8% support for the uh, age limit. Age 50. Uh, Age 90, just 2% said age 90 should be the uh, age limit uh, for uh, holding elected office. CBS notes that about one-third of U.S. senators are age 70 or older. And uh, let's remember, Queen Elizabeth was 96. Poll also found that a a near majority of 47% said that they believe having more young people in office would make politics better. Fresh ideas and all of that. More energy. 29% said uh, things would remain the same if our electorate was, uh, if our elected uh, officials were younger. Uh, And 23% said would actually make things worse. Lack of life experience and all of that. But interesting uh, numbers, breaking it down from this uh, CBS News YouGov poll. Should there be age limits for elected officials? My wife, Kyra, has joined us in the studio. Before we get to the recipes uh, this week for uh, Kyra's Kitchen, want to invite everyone to uh, an event happening at our church yes. uh, this weekend that you yep. have had a, a big hand in yes. uh, putting together and, <laughs> and planning. It is a uh, big fun day Sunday Yes, uh, to sort of welcome everybody back right. uh, post-pandemic and, yeah. and all of that. But yep. it's going to be a good time. We've been back Summertime, for a while. everybody kind of... Uh, has vacations and all that stuff, so still welcoming back from yes. vacations and all of yes. that too. Sure, sure. Uh, yep. Sunday, fun day, fun day, Sunday, whatever. Anyway, fun day, Sunday, fun day, Sunday, <laughs> and uh, this is what around uh, ten thirty. Yeah, ten fifteen, ten thirty after our nine o'clock service. Okay. So and everybody's is, welcome to the uh, service yes. as well. Oh, but yes. if you want to just come to welcome. fun day Sunday, you're welcome yep. to as well. Yep, and we're gonna have uh, inflatables and activities, and we serve coffee bar and uh, a food truck and Fort Finley uh, Donuts and uh, Romic Railway. For the kids, And Yep, yep all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, so be a, an awful lot of fun. Yes. And this is uh, Trinity Lutheran Church in Findlay. That's at the yep. corner of uh, Northridge and Bigelow. Bigelow. Northridge yep. and Bigelow. Yep. And uh, that is uh, this Sunday starting right after the 9 Just o'clock Just look for service. the bounce houses. Look for the bounce houses. <laughs> uh, Northridge Road and uh, Bigelow, West Bigelow. So, uh, uh, we certainly and everything is free. Everything is free. Yep. So this is a free community we'll, event. We'll see you there, and yes, everybody is welcome. Please. So uh, after you go to uh, Fun Day Sunday, yes. then you can go home and you can have a, a wonderful Sunday brunch, <laughs> and that happens to be the. Uh, Topic of the uh, the theme yes. for the recipes. We're having brunch uh, today. today. We're having brunch, <laughs> uh, and we start with a sausage. Breakfast or brunch casserole? Casserole, yes. So one pound uh, ground sausage, six large eggs, one cup of heavy cream, a half a teaspoon of salt, a quarter teaspoon of pepper, a half a teaspoon of onion powder, quarter or sorry, a quarter teaspoon of onion powder, a quarter teaspoon of paprika, one cup of Colby Jack cheese shredded, one cup of, cup of mozzarella cheese shredded um six ounces of refrigerated crescent roll tubes and you can do the crescent rolls or the flats either one okay the so ones basically that aren't two, cut two of the yeah, tubes of two the, of the tubes of, okay. of crescent rolls all so, right 
So preheat your oven to 350 degrees, coat a 9 by 13 inch baking dish with nonstick spray, set aside, brown your sausage in a large uh, skillet over medium high heat until completely brown, brown through. Um, be sure to break up your sausage um, so it's nice and crumbly. Mm-hmm. Um, remove from the heat and strain off the grease. Now, again, you want to cook the sausage all the way through because Correct. there are some recipes that we've talked about where you want to get it almost yeah. done yeah. No. because you're going to cook it yeah. more. But in this case, it's you want to cook it all yeah, the way through. Cook it all through. the way through. Yep. Don't, don't mess around with that. Nope. Nope. Then uh, strain off the grease and set that aside. In a large bowl, whisk together your egg, your cream, your salt, your pepper, your onion powder, your paprika until four. Fully uh, incorporated and whipped together. Add your cheese, uh, stir to combine. Um, open up your crescent rolls and arrange them in the bottom of your baking dish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then add your sausage. Then um, and spread that evenly over the rolls. Right. Then pour the egg mixture over the rolls and the sausage. Bake for about thirty-five minutes. Um, then uh, kind of wiggle. Um, and if the middle is still. Um, uh, um, jiggly? Not yeah. If it's jiggly, <laughs> then it's not done yet. Put okay. it back in for a little bit. You All want right. your eggs done also. It's very scientific the way yes. we check this. Jiggle. Just <laughs> jiggle it. Just jiggle it. <laughs> <laughs> Carefully move from the oven when it's all done. Let it sit for about five minutes and then enjoy. It is really good. Yep. Uh, the uh, sausage casserole. Uh, to go along with that, we have banana oat breakfast cookies. Yes. And all of the kids, have, you've gotten their attention now. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so wait a minute. Cookies for yes. breakfast? Yes. yes. So this is two cups of quick oats, a half a teaspoon of ground cinnamon, a quarter teaspoon of salt, half a cup of creamy peanut butter, a half a teaspoon of vanilla extract, two large ripe bananas mashed, and a half a cup of chocolate chips. Mm -hmm. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees, line a baking sheet. Uh, with par- or line a baking pan with parchment paper or your silicone mat or spray with cooking spray, whichever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in a large bowl, combine all your ingredients, stir until well mixed, drop uh, two tablespoon scoops onto the baking sheet, flatten just a little bit um, because these don't really flat spread out. So you want to flatten okay. them a little bit. All right. Um, uh, and kind of form them in the shape of a cookie. Right. Bake for about uh, fourteen to seventeen minutes till the or until the edges are kind of a golden brown. And remove from the heat and cool. Mm. Mm. So they're Boy, really a, good. I had one this morning. Did you? Because yeah, because you can put Did them you in make the these freezer. Yesterday, I have not. Uh, uh, I made them. You made peanut butter cookies the other day. I made them the same been, time I made the peanut butter cookies. <laughs> How did I miss those? I've been munching on the uh, peanut butter cookies. Yeah, and I have, they're up in the freezer. Oh, okay. So I put them up in the freezer. Because I, did, I didn't want to share them. <laughs> <laughs> I see how you are. I, I see how you are. And then uh, we have a recipe for a cafe mocha. Yes. So um, this is a half a cup of milk, three to four tablespoons of chocolate syrup flavor. Um, and then if you want to use some additional for garnishment, you can. A half a cup of strong brewed coffee, your whipped cream, if you want to use the one in the can or in how. However you want to do it, make your own, just okay. whipped cream.
cream. Whipped cream. Um, chocolate decorations for sprinkles for garnishment if you want to make it pretty at the mm. end. <laughs> okay. So you don't have to. So microwave milk in one quart uh, microwave safe bowl um, on high for one to one and a half minutes. You'll want to kind of see a little bit of steam coming up off the top of it. Mm-hmm. Um but you don't want it to boil. So whisk until foamy. Then uh, microwave um, your uh, chocolate syrup in the microwave with your coffee for about 20 seconds. Then stir that in the coffee. Then add the steamed milk. So you kind of kind of have a little frothy. Um, mix that up. Then top it with your whipped cream and drizzle with your uh, uh, syrup and garnish with sprinkles and serve. Mm, really good. Sound. Really easy. Yeah. And so, I love making. So you start with just your basic coffee. Yeah. And basic then, coffee. And then you spruce add the that whip, up. Yep. Yeah. Add so the, probably uh, heavy cream. So probably best to start with just your basic black coffee. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Just your basic. I mean, black you coffee. could. You might be able to use like a, a mocha flavored coffee mm-hmm. if you want. Like I have a coconut a, mocha that I really like, and a lot I of could, mocha uh, eh, flavor. You know, a lot it of depends. Well, I mean, it depends on how much it. you like chocolate. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. The, I really like chocolate. <laughs> the uh, recipes for the sausage breakfast slash brunch yep. casserole, the banana oat breakfast cookies, yep. and the cafe mocha recipe, which are all posted on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN on Facebook. And uh, also, we've got them linked up at goodmornings.net, so you can uh, check those there. And again, remember, if there's uh, something that you uh, would like to share, if there's a favorite recipe that you would like to uh, share, uh, we are more than happy to uh, get those. Yep. Always happy to see new recipes and try those out. Yep. So you can send them to us uh, via the uh, Facebook page. It's probably the easiest way. You can also email us at goodmornings at WFIN.com. You can do it that way, too. And uh, also, if there's uh, something that you are looking for, if there's a recipe mm-hmm. that you're uh, looking for, and we've had uh, folks ask us in the past if they can, you can find a good recipe for this, that, or the other good, thing. easy recipe. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we'll get Kyra on the case. So yes, uh, just let us please. know what you're looking for. And again, you can uh, reach out to us via the uh, Facebook page or by email. Go to goodmornings.net for more. My wife, Kyra. And don't forget, uh, yeah. fun day Sunday. Yeah, see you Sunday. This Sunday, <laughs> uh, beginning at about 10.15 or so, mm-hmm. Trinity Lutheran Church, uh, North Main Street and Bigelow. Yep. Or, no, I'm sorry, not North Main. Uh, Everything's going to be Ridge. on the poor, uh, lower parking lot, lot off of Northridge Road. Northridge Road. Yeah, park uh, in the upper so parking lot. Look for the bounce houses. Yes. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And once again, that is goodmornings.net. Check us out online. Coming up Monday on the program, each year, Medicare loses $60 billion to fraud and abuse. We'll talk about how seniors can protect themselves and their access to critical health care when they need it most. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.